What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 79, and this morning we have a special guest from the NACD. Uh, we have Jennifer Gibson. She's the vice president of regula- regulatory affairs with the NACD. Uh, I know we've had some uh, folks from the NACD on before. I believe this is the first time we've had Jennifer on, so thank you for uh, taking some time with us this morning. Look forward to talking to you. How's, uh, how's everything going today? Oh, great. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. Yeah, I believe you had uh, our president, Eric Beyer, on um, maybe even a couple of years ago. But uh, really pleased to be here. This is a confession to the audience. This is my first podcast, so bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) But really happy to be here. I think we've been lucky enough to have a couple guests first first podcast with us. So glad to to be introducing people to the podcast world. It's always exciting. (laughs) Yeah, and we're going to be starting uh, our own at NACD in the next few months too. So we'll become real pros at ourselves, hopefully. Perfect. There you go. That's that's <laughs> exciting to hear. Um, and where uh, where are you joining us from this morning? I am joining you from the NACD offices in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of Washington D.C. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, thanks for uh, making some time for us. Excited for a uh, a chat on all things going on in the in the regulatory world these days. Um, but to kick things off, why don't you uh, introduce the NACD if anyone's not familiar with the NACD organization, um, as well as give a little bit of background on yourself and, and your role at the NACD. Okay, happy to. So the NACD, the National Association of Chemical Distributors, is the premier trade association for chemical distribution. We have about 400 companies involved, about 230 of those are distributors like the chemical company. And then we have producer affiliates, uh, chemical handler affiliates and service provider affiliates. And we have uh, three main roles at NACD. One is um, education and networking. We have lots of great meetings and lots of educational materials for our members. We have um, our responsible distribution program, which is our environmental health, safety, and security, and new coming sustainability program. And we have, of course, what my department is advocacy. So we are very involved in both the legislative and regulatory activities in Washington and to some extent the state level. And as for myself, I have been with NACD for coming up on 18 years. So I've been here for quite a while and I'm still learning things every day (laughs) with all of the regulations our industry has to deal with. And um, before that, I was a lobbyist for a property casualty trade association and started my Washington career on uh, Capitol Hill, working for a couple of house members. Very cool. Have you been in a similar role the whole time with the NACD or have you changed your focus around? I, I have a little bit. I've, I'm a lot more focused now on regulatory. When I first started, I was doing everything. I was doing all of the legislative and the regulatory. And now we have um, seven people on our advocacy staff. So we've grown a lot. Very cool. And what's what are the primary differences? Like you said, you were doing kind of both both sides when you first started. What are some of the core differences in those two different, I guess, departments, if you will? Yeah, the legislative is uh, more focused on Capitol Hill, meeting with members of Congress, um, supporting or opposing legislation, and really kind of on the ground up there on the Hill. And uh, the regulatory side is with more with the federal agencies. We meet with the regulators and look at the proposals they come up with and file lots and lots of regulatory comments on their proposals, things like that. Got it. Very cool. And, and also like try, try to educate them on all the good things responsible distribution does. You'd be surprised at how many people have no idea what our industry even does. And the, sure. so really, and over the past uh, with the pandemic and really being able to emphasize how critical this industry is to the supply chain has been very interesting. I think we've opened a lot of eyes as to how critical our industry is to the economy and the well-being of the United States. 
Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. And uh, yeah, the chemical company, we've, we're proud to be a, a longtime member of the NACD. I know you guys do do a great job uh, for companies like us and you know, between some of the trade shows and events you guys do, network opportunities. And I know we're a huge asset when COVID came around and you know, working with companies like us on different legislative things and some of the different support programs are coming out and whatnot, you know, really advocating on behalf of, you know, a, a sort of niche part of the chemical industry with, with the distribution network. So, um, yeah, proud to have been a, a longtime member and, you know, support you guys just as much as you guys support us with some of the events and things like that you put on. So it's been a great, great relationship. Yeah, that's a great fact. We just had our, our big meeting um, last week, um, our big ChemEdge operations and regulatory conference, and y'all were there, so that was that was good. <laughs> we were, yes, yeah, absolutely. That was uh, I wasn't there personally, but heard from the folks that were there. It was a, a great event, got a lot out of it. So definitely some some value there with with those annual shows you guys do. Yes, and of course we have an, our other big one coming up in uh, November, our annual meeting, which is more focused on the CEOs and sales. Sure, sure, very cool. Great great program there plan too. <laughs> yeah, obviously we're, we're based up in New England. So I know we go to like some of the regional events and the Northeast events. Sometimes I wish we were in like California because I know the West, the NAC to West is always, I think in Hawaii, yes. the, the Western <laughs> regional meeting. So I think oh. we get gypped a little bit on that side. Yeah. But. They, they welcome people from other regions. So they'd love to have you. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you try to convince my boss of that one and I'll be the first <laughs> one on the plane. Don't, don't you worry. Um, but yeah, I know we've gone back and forth over the last couple of weeks on some of the core things you're spending a lot of time on and, and your department's focusing on, um, you know, some of those including things like the kind of newly announced Superfund tax, looking at things with trade and tariff, um, looking at shipping and transportation issues, both the, you know, some of the, some of the problems that are going on as well as some good news that's happening with logistics, um, yes. and then working with, uh, the EPA as well. So I guess jump right into it. Um, you know, we've, we've chatted a little bit about the super fun tax. I know something that's maybe been uh, a, a bit of a thorn in your guys' side here recently with understanding the legislation and what it means for companies like ours. Um, yes. so what, what, what is going on with super fun tax? What's the, what's the background on it and, and some of the complexities and issues that have come up with some of, you know, the, your, your distribution members? Well, in all my 18 years here at NACD, this has been the biggest nightmare issue I've ever seen. <laughs> so the Superfund tax, was in a, it was put into effect originally in the early 80s. And then Congress ex let it expire in at the end of 1995. And one of the elements of that was a, an excise tax on chemicals. And in the big infrastructure package that uh, was enacted in November, they snuck this back in there. Um, so it took a couple of weeks for everybody to realize what was going on. And then everybody was trying to figure out what, well, what does this mean? How do we comply with this? And um, so we put together, um, had an initial webinar in January and uh, put together an initial uh, paper, informational paper. So what this does, um, there are kind of two uh, two lists. One is of taxable chemicals and one is of taxable substances. And uh, the taxable chemicals are pretty straightforward. And then the substances get a little bit more complicated because it has to do with if the, those are imported and there's a list and the IRS has provided rates for uh, most of those chem most of those substances but not all so we have been going back and forth with the IRS trying to get additional guidance for example when a mixture is imported so if it's not on the substance list but it has tax taxable chemicals or and or substances in it how is that handled that's just one of the examples of the really complex questions and another caveat of this um tax is that semi-monthly deposits are required um so the first uh the the 
tax officially became effective on July 1st. And then the first semi-monthly deposit was due on July 29th, when all of these questions are still pending out there. So the IRS did provide a little bit of uh, penalty relief. They issued a memo a few months ago saying that they wouldn't come after firms who made a good faith effort to make those deposits. And then the second part of this is that uh, there are quarterly uh, filings due. And the first one of those is due on October 31st. And so at that point, companies should try to have everything reconciled and make those complete payments. So, so those will be due every quarter. Um, we're still waiting for more information. Um, we have been, we've sent two big letters to the IRS. We met with them via phone call in mid-July and they really didn't answer a lot of our questions. <laughs> so we've been getting letters from the Hill to go up there asking for guidance. Um, we've sent letters. We're encouraging fellow trade associations to do the same. So as I'm sure you've seen in the news, the IRS is very understaffed. So I think they may have four people working on this and it's a huge issue. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll, we'll keep plugging away and we um, regularly update our, our paper and we have a big frequently asked questions document, which we will also be, um, we're about to release a new version of that with some clarifications. So another complication is that the, um, the IRS had proposed regulations in 1983 to implement the first round of this, never finalized those regulations. Um, and, but that is all that we have to really look for for guidance at this point. So huh. it's real, it's amazing. <laughs> and so yeah, we, have and, say, and... we have to say that, well, this is the caveat. This is, this is some information, but it's not, you know, it's not set in stone. So you right. just do your best. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, and we can make sure if, if you can send, you know, send over that, uh, that link, we'll obviously put that FAQ link down on the show notes for wherever people are streaming. This will be a great resource. Oh yeah. Yeah. Happy to do that. Um, and one of the questions I know we got, and I don't know if you know the answer to it directly, um, you know, something specific with TCC's business, you know, we'll, we'll bring in a product and then resell it, or we may be buying a product from a supplier that's already been imported in the U.S., which may have already been, you know, subject to the Superfund tax. So I know one of the big questions we've had is sometimes a, a product could get bought, resold, packaged, but it's still the same purity and now it's being sold again. You know, how many different layers does the Superfund tax apply all the time? Does it only apply when it's actually being imported? I know that's that's been a big question mark for us on on when a product is actually subject to being, uh, you know, applicable to some of these taxes. Yeah, that has caused a lot of confusion. So with the taxable chemicals, that applies to producers and manufacturers. And when they, it becomes effective when they sell the product. So I know, um, and maybe you've received these too from your suppliers, from domestic suppliers, they'll have a line item um, for what these superfund taxes are on the chemicals. And then when it gets to the distributor level, I mean, it's really up to the distributor how they want to handle that. They don't have to pay the tax again, although they're paying it through the, this line item, but you know, they may need to update their prices to make up for that or however they want to right. handle it, or they could even do line items if they want. And then for the imported substances, so the tax is actually due when the importer um, sells or uses the chemical. So not upon import, it's when it's actually sold or used or warehoused. But so in that case of a product, like, like again, a product could be sold three times. It could be sold to a distributor and then sold to another company who may then put it in totes and then sold mm -hmm. in totes. So all, all three of those sales would be subject to the Superfund tax in that case? No, the idea is it's only, it's only paid once. 
one time to, to, one time. to the IRS. But then as it goes down the supply chain, the upstream party will pass the costs along in some way or another. But the IRS got, got it. theoretically gets paid once. <laughs> got it. So on a, say a theoretical 7,000, you know, a tank truck, a 7,000 gallon purchase of something, you know, that's being paid to the government one time. And then it's just a matter of how the company is downstream absorb that extra, you know, additional cost, whether they add a line item or just build it into their, their pricing, it's going to increase pricing slightly. Correct. Got it. Interesting. Okay. But, so even it has caused a tremendous amount of confusion. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it sounds, you know, super fun tax. It sounds relatively straightforward on its face, but then you dig into the details of when it's due and what's due and, you know, it, it, what's considered a sale or not a sale or an import. It's, it's amazing how many different levels of, of, uh, you know, questions can get baked in there. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely the the regulation that NACD has received the most questions on since I've been here. Yeah, <laughs> understandably, I believe it. I, I believe it. Um, so it sounds like obviously you, you guys are working on getting answers. You know, you're put publishing FAQs and info as you're getting updates from the IRS and, and different regulatory bodies, which sounds like it's maybe few and far between. But something you guys are actively keeping an eye on, working on, and, and publishing updates as you have them. Yes, absolutely. And we put those in our, um, so if it's a really big piece of news, we'll do a special regulatory alert to draw attention to it. We, um, and we'll also follow up with articles in our weekly um, news brief, which is our uh, regulatory and legislative e-newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like a, a great resource. You know, if someone listening isn't currently a, a member of the NACD or getting some of that info, uh, you know, maybe a great reason to, to join or get involved and reach out to you to, to at least get some guidance on what's happening there. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> I wonder if, 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 if a company isn't a member of a trade association like NACD, I wonder how they would even know about something like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I know some people may think of the NACD or different trade organizations, maybe based on the trade shows they put on or different marketing events that they host and things like that. But this is obviously, you know, maybe something that doesn't cross the minds of an average salesperson or product manager or whatnot, but people that are focusing on, you know, the invoicing and the billing and the, the regulatory side of things, it's a huge, huge asset to, to have a resource like you guys to be able to answer some of these questions. Absolutely. Um, another thing that's been, uh, going on for a good while. You know, I know there were a lot of questions when they when they first came out and I think there still are some question marks on uh, when they may go away is, you know, looking at trade and tariff. Obviously the 25% China tariffs are still largely in effect with a few exceptions and things that have been uh, been removed. Um, I know there's a lot of questions now on with, with obviously a new um, president and, and system in place, uh, if those are going to stick around or, or be removed. Um, is that something you guys are still keeping a close eye on and spending a lot of time on with those with those tariffs? And what's kind of the outlook on whether those will expire or, or be removed or if you think they're around for the long run? Yeah, we, we definitely are still very involved in that. And we were hopeful that with the new administration, there might be a change of approach. And as of a few months ago, there was talk that there might be some relief on these tariffs. But over the past few weeks, that seems to have stopped. So as from what we can tell, for the foreseeable future, the tariffs will be in place. Um, what we're working on now is trying to get a more expedited and clear exclusions renewal process, as you noted some some substances chemicals have been excluded from the tariffs and but it's it's really convoluted to how to even get those exclusions granted and and how to get them renewed so that's kind of where our focus is right now and then even as of just yesterday we filed comments with the international trade commission they had requested comments on the economic impacts of both 
the China Section 301 tariffs and the um, the Section 232 tariffs. So we filed comments um, about uh, the, the 301 tariffs and the impact they've had on the, the chemical distribution industry. Yeah, something we've we've obviously been impacted by. Some of our couple large products for us have been subject to the taxes. These products are only produced in China, so we have no mm-hmm. choice but to bring them on. Companies need the product and you know pay the twenty five percent extra, and then that obviously just gets passed on to the downstream pricing. Um, and there's a lot of questions. You know, that product has once or twice been put on the exclusion list, so then it's no longer subject to taxes or the tariff. But then, do you get the tariff back? Do you not get the tariff back if you got multiple loads coming in in a month and the exclusion comes into effect? Is one load subject to it? Is one load not? Are we getting refunds? Are customers getting refunds? All <laughs> kinds of fun questions. You know, on the sales side, we've been getting asked, saying, you know, hey, we want our twenty five percent back. What's well, like, well, you know, it's not that simple. I know there's a lot of cases we haven't even gotten the you know the money back, even if it is subject to it. So it's it's uh. been. Uh, it's been a fun, fun project the last couple of years, keeping an eye on that and understanding how that works and, and you know, being able to accurately answer customer questions. Yeah, it's been keeping uh, the customs consultants and, uh, and attorneys busy. <laughs> I can imagine so. I can imagine so. <laughs> um, so it sounds like maybe that's not a, not a current priority for the administration, looking at that, maybe, maybe removing that at this point, something that is kind of on the back burner a bit. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about it, but have not seen much action and don't don't really see it coming, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Well, something I'm sure we'll keep an eye on, but it's uh, certainly good good feedback to hear what you guys are seeing on that. I know there's always articles that'll come out and questions, and that brings up a whole other batch of questions from customers saying, "Oh, I heard it's getting removed or whatnot." So it's it's good to hear that. You know, I mean, not good to hear, but it's it's good a good update that it's kind of on the back burner and hasn't really been talked about here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and if we hear anything different, we'll certainly let the membership know. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, shipping and transportation and logistics—I'm sure that's been a big talking point for you guys. Uh, I guess even pre-COVID, obviously. You know, I've been with TCC personally five and a half, going on six years, and logistics and trucking and the driver shortage and whatnot has been a big topic of conversation throughout that entire time frame and, and even beyond that. So I know logistics has been a, a big question mark, uh, especially in the chemical industry, but obviously with, with all industries that rely on on these different modes of transportation. Um, sounds like there's both some good and some bad news going on in the logistics world. I'll let you uh, decide what you want to start on, um, <laughs> but what's what's currently happening and what are you spending some time on in the in the transportation world? Okay, I'll start with the bad news. Uh, <laughs> probably the one one item we're concerned about is that there's a law that passed in California a couple of years ago, um, Assembly Bill Five, and that really it had to do with um it all started with the whole Uber and Lyft uh, drivers, independent contractors, and uh, uh, but how the bill ended up. Well, there was a referendum to exclude um, Uber and Lyft drivers, but it pretty much applies to everyone else. So there was a big fight over that. Um, the California Trucking Association sued and uh, went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided just a couple of months ago not to take it up. So this uh, law is in effect. And so that really, you know, a lot, a lot of truckers are independent contractors. And what this law does is make truckers be actual employees of firms. So this is all just starting to play out. But uh, I know there have been a couple of protests out in California. Truckers not happy about this. Uh, but whatever the case, it's not going to help the driver shortage at all. Um, so no. that's one piece of bad news. The other um, thing items we're concerned about, there are a couple of um, 
labor disputes going on. One is uh, on the West Coast um, ports, the uh, agreement between the Pacific Maritime Association and the International Longshore uh, and Warehouse Union expired as of June 30th. Uh, so good news there is that the, the, there's been no work stoppage, but these negotiations are kind of dragging on. And we're concerned that if the parties don't reach agreement soon, we could see slowdowns. Um, that happened last time this uh, occurred in uh, about 2015. There was kind of a there wasn't a complete stoppage, but there was a real slowdown, which caused a lot of grief, a lot of delays in products. And this was even before the, the current crisis. And then even worse than that, there is, um, there's uh, a, a dispute between the freight class one freight railroads and the 12 uh, major rail worker unions. And they've been negotiating for, I think, years now. And just recently, a presidential emergency board was formed to, uh, to uh, hammer out a negotiation, a settlement between these two groups. And that board just came out with their proposal last week and proposed a pretty substantial increase for rail workers. So now that's uh, they have 30 days to consider that. And if uh, there's disagreement, which now we're hearing that some unions like it, some don't, uh, the earliest there could be a strike would be September 16th. But if the rail, if the rail workers go on strike, that, I can't even imagine what a disaster that would be for our commerce. Uh, so we're watching that. There's also the opportunity for Congress to get involved. Um, if uh, if there's if they can't reach an agreement, Congress can say, "All right, well, you're going to accept this. This is the way it's going to be." So be be on the lookout in the next three weeks to see what happens with that. We're hoping for the best on that end. Yeah, that's a that's a good piece of info. We actually just had a we have kind of regular. Uh, internal rail car meetings uh, somewhat frequently to talk about the rail fleet that we manage internally and how things are going and whatnot. And that actually came up was someone hearing that the, you know, there's movement on the rail strike thing and that it may get worse in the next couple of weeks. So that's, that's a good kind of data point that September 16th is that, that date. And there's uh, going to be a lot to keep an eye on here in the next couple of weeks to see how that goes. Obviously logistics has been tight. Rail especially has been uh, a bit difficult and obviously a, a rail strike with some of the major rail unions would be a, a big problem. Yes, it would. Yeah, and as you said, the the yeah rail outside of this has been a, a real problem. Um, anyway, the uh, U.S. Surface Transportation Board has really been closely watching this. They had a big hearing, a two-day hearing at the end of April, urgent issues in rail service and had uh, rail customers, they had the railroads testify. They wanted the CEOs to come in, but they didn't show up. <laughs> but they yeah. wanted the railroads yeah. to come in ex and explain themselves. So they sent their their people to do that. And then most of the witnesses were rail customers. Um, I actually testified um, for NACD along with one, one of our members, Hawkins, um, who, uh, who uses a lot of rail. And uh, yeah, we all had horror stories to tell. So once at the end of that hearing, um, the chairman of the board, Marty Overman, said, well, I want uh, rail service improvement plans from, for, from all of you, class one railroads. Uh, how are you going to increase your workforces, improve service? And they have been providing those reports, but everything I've seen, um, Chairman Overman says he's he's not satisfied <laughs> with the progress they're making. And we've, yeah. we've heard several cases from members about problems they're having getting product and you know, even having to stop production for a day or two because uh, they don't have the product to process. It's It's a really bad situation. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it's there. There's at least 
somewhat actions being taken to, to try to improve that. I mean, it sounds like steps in the right direction, even if they haven't been satisfactory up to this point. I guess you got to start somewhere, and it sounds like at least things are being done to at least hear the hear the you know the general public and people that are directly being impacted by this and try to make some improvements. Yeah, yeah, the STB is definitely keeping the pressure on, and they also have some regulatory proposals that they're they're working on to try to improve the situation, dealing with uh, reciprocal sh- uh, switching and first mile, last mile service. Those are kind of long term projects, but that should help in the long run. Yep. Yeah. Is uh is that the end of the bad news, or is there any more uh, bad news to report on? <laughs> I think I think that's the end of the bad news. <laughs> All right, let's. So. So, something that doesn't happen, it seems, very often on our podcast is good news with shipping and transportation. So tell me some tell me some good news. Yeah, well, uh, the president signed into law the Ocean Shipping Reform Act in mid June on June sixteenth, and that law gives the Federal Maritime Commission a lot more authority to go after the ocean carriers who have been, as I'm sure you well know, really jacking up prices and all sorts of terrible delays and not wanting to carry hazmat and and things like that. That's been before Superfund came along. That was (laughs) the number one headache for um, (laughs) our members over the past couple of years. Uh, But so um, that was signed into law and the FMC is really, um, they're focused on uh, implementing this bill. They have a web page with all their implementation implementation plans and activities. Um, they have oh, probably 10 or 12 rulemakings that they're going to be doing over the next uh, few months and year or so. So, I mean, it, it's not going to be immediate relief, but uh, the attention is really focused a lot more on this issue, holding the ocean carrier's feet to the fire. Uh, and uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll see some improvement there. Yeah, again, sounds like it's, you know, obviously some some longer term plays to improve some of these things, but at least the, the conversations are happening. I know it may not be good news for people that are having issues today or tomorrow or next week with deliveries and, and shipments, but at least things are being done to to try to improve things and give it more oversight and, and have some action here in the coming months and years. Yes. And the commission, um, even even before as as this law was being uh, finalized, they've even started to go after some of the ocean carriers, um, levied some pretty big fines for unreasonable detention and demurrage and things like that. So they are they're using whatever authority they have to try to provide some relief. Sure. Good. No, that, that sounds like positive things are happening to, to try to improve some of these things and bring costs back down to normal levels and, and improve, I think, more more than anything else, the, the supply and demand. I think people wouldn't mind maybe paying a bit higher prices if it means stuff will actually get from A to B, but if stuff costs more and it's not actually getting there, that's a, that's a problem. Exactly. Um, just a, a note, you mentioned uh, the NACD regional meetings. Our Northeast regional meeting will be held in uh, September in um, Princeton, New Jersey. And one of the speakers is going to be Carl Benzel, who is one of the Federal Maritime Commission members. So he's one of the, and he's, we've been working really closely with him through this whole process. So hopefully you're, you're planning to attend that so he can give you the latest from the source. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. One of the best things about some of these shows, I know, um, the, you know, the events that you guys put on and we also work closely with the Plastics Industry Association. They do some great kind of targeted speakers on same thing, you know, people that are, um, you know, some of these agencies that are working on things to fix things and then more downstream agencies, housing agencies and uh, automotive agencies and things like that that are working on this stuff. One of, the, one of the best things about going to some of these shows and conferences is, is hearing speakers just like that to be able to get that information. So it sounds like a great, great speaker lineup there. Yes. Well, it's, it's nice to have a, a little bit of good news, even if it's maybe good news to go into effect in you know 2025. At least there's some some 
some bright spots and something uh, something some right. positive it, news to take a look at there. It was funny because that passed, we were all happy. And then I think it was maybe the next day we realized that the first uh, super fun taxes were due on July 29th. <laughs> so our, our celebration of uh, the enactment of Azra didn't last long. Yeah, right. Well, still something not to not to go overlooked, I suppose. <laughs> That's right. And I think the, the last bullet point we have been going back and forth on and talking a bit about that you're spending some time on is with the EPA rulemaking and some of their focus. Uh, obviously, we spent a lot of time on the regulatory side thinking about the Toxic Substances Control Act and um, some other things going on. What are what are some of the things that the EPC, uh, EPA is, is taking along uh, a lot of focus on here recently? Yeah, they're involved in several areas. Um, I said kind of overall, I'll just mention they're, and actually, the whole government is focused on climate change and environmental justice. And of course, uh, the EPA is front and center on those issues. So in every rulemaking, every proposal, they're considering those elements. And also even in their enforcement activities, they're really going to focus enforcement in what they call environmental justice areas, which we're still trying to figure out what that all means, but something we're watching very carefully. So starting with uh, TSCA, the Toxic Substances Control Act. um, So there were, um, under the law that passed in 2016, uh, EPA was considering 10 10 of the first uh, high priority chemicals, and they had gotten through risk evaluations and were moving on to their risk management activities, which is when they decide if they're going to ban a chemical or require certain conditions for using that chemical, such as PPE and so on. Well, they've decided in, in in considering environmental justice and climate change, and also they're taking what they're calling a whole chemical approach. Um, so rather than considering each, well, they do still consider each individual condition of use, but if there are several conditions of use that EPA thinks provide an unreasonable risk, they will take the measure on the whole chemical rather than just those conditions of use. And so they're going back and having new risk determinations for these first 10, which is really holding things up. We just filed comments on four of these. And so then, um, once they finish with those first 10, they well, they have those going on. Then they have their 20, their next batch of 20 high priority chemicals, and they're in the risk evaluation process of those. So under this new approach, they're looking at whole chemical. The other thing they're doing is not assuming that uh, PPE will be used when handling the chemicals by workers. And it's almost like um, you know, OSHA has their rules, but EPA kind of wants to step in and take over OSHA's rule in this, which is a little bit frustrating. Uh, so we're looking at that. The other big news out of Tosca is that um, they are um, the 2016 law gave them authority to impose fees on industry for all the risk evaluation activities and new chemical uh, uh, applications and pretty much all those things. And uh, they had proposed um, some pretty substantial fee and fees uh, a while back. And then the agency decided, well, these aren't high enough because Congress gave us the authority to recoup 25% of our fees and we need this money. So we're expecting in the next month or two to see a supplemental notice that's going to increase these fees even higher. So that will impact any company that um, has a company uh, has a chemical going through risk evaluation or, um, or they're filing a, a, a new chemical for, for use uh, application, things like that. So that, that's another concern. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
And then kind of uh, that's the chemical side of EPA. And then moving over to kind of the facility environmental side, they have a couple of uh, big proposals out. Just on Friday, they released a proposal to update the risk management program, which is their regulation that requires uh, companies with certain highly hazardous chemicals to develop uh, worst case scenarios in case there's a chemical release and develop plans to uh, to mitigate that, prevent and mitigate those damages. Really good, strong, robust regulation. but. EPA wants to update this and make it even <laughs> more, more robust. Um, and uh, so they introduced a proposed rule uh, pre-publication version on Friday. So we're in the process of going through that. But it's just one of these things. Why mess with a rule that is perfectly good rule, very effective? Uh, so we'll definitely be commenting on that one. We also recently filed comments on another proposal they had out to kind of establish a similar program to look at water releases. Um, RMP is air releases, but um, apparently under the Clean Water Act, according to some environmental groups who filed suit a couple of years ago, EPA was supposed to have done this for water releases too. So they released a proposal in uh, earlier this spring to do that. And it was really convoluted, unclear, all sorts of questions, uh, a lot of concerns in there. So we filed very extensive comments on that one as well. Seems so, to be a bit of a common common theme, huh? Yes, yes, they are. EPA is keeping <laughs> us very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like like good good intentions with a lot of these these plans and proposals, mm -hmm. but uh, some of the some of the questions that are left unanswered gives a little bit of frustration to organizations like like yourselves, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing that we try to do. Is I mean, granted, they're regulators sitting in Washington; they're they're not on the ground at the chemical facilities, so we try to make them see, okay, how, what will really the impact of these proposals be and how might we do this in a more reasonable way? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I know, you know, you mentioned, obviously there's a lot of these plans and proposals and, and potential fees and things like that coming into effect. Um, and one of the things you mentioned was the, the enforcement of it. So obviously, uh, you know, having these rules and laws is great, but they obviously need to be enforced. So it sounds like that's been a, a bit of a question mark too. Yeah. Oh, they have been enforcing. They, they haven't stopped that, but <laughs> which... <laughs> Yeah, but I guess we're concerned that if they're going to start looking at environmental justice, that's not really defined. Everybody's trying to still figure out what what does that mean. So sure. I guess that's that's the big concern there. Yeah, well, a lot to sounds like you're, you're certainly busy. No uh, no shortage of things to keep an eye on, work on, you know, lobby on behalf of the industry for. So it sounds like there's uh, quite a few things uh, going on there. That is for sure. <laughs> and I, there are lots of things we didn't even talk about today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These were the, uh, these were the, the, I think biggest challenges you guys are working on. I'm sure there's plenty more that we, we, we could talk about, uh, extensively. Yes. Yeah. These are the ones that are kind of right in front of us right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of, you know, wrapping things up, I think there's a great overview on these kind of four or five various big topics you guys are working on. Um, anything coming up here in the short term in terms of, you know, things you guys are working on or deadlines or I know you mentioned a couple shows and events you guys are putting on that could be a good resource for uh, for people here in the second half of the year. Yeah, like I said, we have our Northeast region meeting coming up um, at the end of September and then our big annual meeting coming up uh, in California, uh, November uh, 6th through 11th. So um, those are Kind of our big events and then it's planning uh, additional programs going down the road um, we just had a, a regulatory workshop right before our chem conference um dealing with not only tosca but the uh 
the uh, pesticide regulations and the food and drug regulations. So that was really good. And we'll be planning another regulatory workshop for March. We are working on what the topic is going to be on that, but we will certainly get the word out on that. Also looking at having some additional webinars for members. We um, haven't had one in a while, but we do have regular webinars for um, uh, members on both regulatory and business topics. And we get the word out about those through emails and our news brief and Kenbytes publications. Got it. So Very cool. Stay tuned for more on that. Yeah, absolutely. I know you, you mentioned the FAQ um, questions, you know, on, on things like the Superfund that obviously we can put in the link here. Um, but what's the best way to either get any specific questions answered or get in touch with you guys or learn more? I'm, I'm sure there's resources online to reach out about either membership or specific questions and ways to ways to work with you guys if there are any questions on, you know, any of these topics or even anything we didn't talk about. Yeah, we have a great website. And if you go to www.nacd.com and click on about NACD and over on the left-hand side, you can scroll down and there's a link to all of our staff. So we have our email addresses on there and our pictures so you can see us. So (laughs) (laughs) reach out to any of us. Another tool we have on the regulatory front for members is our regulatory resource guide and checklist. So we, um, we put together this regulatory resource guide about oh, over 10 years ago, and it's basically a list of the federal regulations that apply to chemical distrib- distributors. And uh, then we list lots of resources um, for more information on those. I think that was 12 pages when I first put that together years ago. It's 36 now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot going on there, but that's a great resource. We also have that in checklist version, a word version, and that just lists the regulations. And then there's a box companies can check. Yes, this applies to me. No, it doesn't. And maybe companies can remove things from that as they're in the document and also add um, any international or state rules um, they're looking at. But those um, sure. those are on our website uh, under our government affairs section for members. Um, great resource. Well, Jennifer, it was great talking to you. There's a lot going on, um, a lot of great updates on you know what's been going on, what's currently happening and, and what's to come. So I think a great overview on these various topics. You know, I'd love to have you on again uh, in the coming weeks or months to you know give an update on, on how things are moving along with some of these topics. And I'm sure inevitably some new regulatory challenges that we aren't even talking about today that are that are sure to come. Um, so again, yes. thank you for the time. It was, it was great talking to you and, and hope to have you on here again soon. Let's thank, thank you, Ben. This has been great. Um, anytime. Happy to do so. There's there's always plenty to cover. So <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, once again, you know, thank you, Jennifer, for your time and to the NACD for uh, sharing some of your resources with us and giving an update on things. Um, as always, appreciate you f- for uh, for listening and following along, whether you're following on the video version here, uh, streaming our beautiful faces or on uh, the audio version wherever you might be streaming. So as always, thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Ben.